0: Welcome to the Tenacious Podcast. I'm Andy Christensen, lifelong entrepreneur. I've helped launch over a dozen national brands, created a $40 billion beverage category, author of the best-selling mentorship book, The 4040 Principle. And the thing I love the most is to encourage and equip entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and creatives to help change the world. That's all of you, so let's get to it. are live with Samantha Weeks, retired Colonel Samantha Weeks, Dr. Samantha Weeks. And just, does anyone call you Sam?
1: Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Probably most of the people from my first 25 years of life only call
0: me Sam. And then you've got Combo as a call sign. I do.
1: And so I'd say my last, uh, you know, 23 years have been known as Combo. Um, and now in the civilian sector, in a company that actually does use call signs still, um, it's interesting that I'm still known as Combo.
0: And we need to hear the story. Combo comes from?
1: There's no better combination of SAS and determination.
0: Oh, man. Who gave you that name? My first
1: fighter squadron at Langley Air Force Base, the 94th Fighter Squadron, the Hat in the Ring Gang.
0: Okay. it's probably a lot going on right there. (laughs) (laughs) But let me just do a formal welcome, everyone, to the Tenacious Podcast. Uh, Samantha, I've introduced you a little bit. I'm going to give a little bit more on you, and we can run through some questions. But welcome to Tenacious. This is a podcast where entrepreneurs thought leaders and creatives come to get encouraged and to try to do great things with their lives. Um, Samantha, thank you for being here. Really appreciate it. And I just want to give a quick kind of formal bio because I'll tell you what, I read one of them and I was like, I don't think we have time for all that. So I've kind of shortened it a little bit. You're currently the Chief Transformation Officer for Shift4 Payments. And we need to hear about this at some point today, mission director for science and research for the Polaris Dawn commercial space flight. That sounds pretty cool. As I mentioned, you're a doctor of PhD military strategy, retired U.S. Air Force colonel and base commander, the first female solo demonstration pilot on the Thunderbirds, married with two children, Ethan and Ryan. And I just wanted to say without going too much further, thank you for all that you've done to serve our nation because you were in the military a good long time. And on that, again, welcome.
1: Well, Andy, thank you very much. I'm excited to be here and part of the Tenacious podcast. You know, And it's interesting because I'm not sure I would call myself an entrepreneur or creative, but I definitely hope that I am a thought leader and learning all the time from other thought leaders. So I appreciate uh,
0: this time with you. Well, this is going to be your test. You've, you've got about 30 minutes to prove us right, that <laughs> so you are Perfect. a thought leader. And uh, I'm already going to vote that you are because I've heard you speak. I know what you're about. And we're really lucky to have you here for a few minutes. And I- I'd love for you to see if you could describe yourself with one word. What would you use?
1: Really, I would say that probably my wor- word uh, is actually bold. And I think that the boldness that I try to live my life with and drive my ambition and my personal growth to um, aligns very well with the de- definition of tenacity. Um, but bold is probably what I've used to describe myself for the last half decade or so. So that would be my word.
0: Well, Dan, we should have had you on uh, earlier than this. You're the poster child for Tenacious. And I heard you say earlier, actually, I heard this on a previous recording you were on. I don't remember the gentleman that interviewed you, but you were telling the story of uh, being on a KC-135 and you were six years old?
1: I was. We were coming back from England where my dad was stationed in the Air Force, flying home space available on a military aircraft, the KC-135 strato tanker which is an air refueling platform. And over the North Atlantic Ocean, we refueled four F-111s. And at six years old, I decided what I wanted to be when I grew up, but it was 1981 and I told my dad and he literally patted me on the back and said, girls don't do that. And it was true. Uh, Women were not allowed to fly combat-coded aircraft like the F-111 or F-15 or F-16 until
0: 1993. That's amazing. And we share something in common. I've actually been on a KC-135. See, that's perfect. And I'm amazed that they're still flying because they look like buses that I've gone through in junkyards. (laughs) They're still up in the air flying around these big old refueling tankers. They're from like what, 1955 or something?
1: The first flight, um, you know, according to Wiki, uh, because that's a great source, is 31 August 1956. Wow. And absolutely, it is still a workhorse in our United States Air Force, you know, on 21 September 2022. Uh, That and the B-52 are probably our two oldest platforms that are still critical to the Air Force's mission today.
0: Yeah. It's pretty impressive that something can last that long it says something to to how it's been built or was built and the maintenance crew that keep those things going and the pot no
1: yes you're absolutely right um the maintenance crews
0: and the pilots don't mess that
1: yeah we we break them all the time for sure
0: (laughs) well the quote i got from that that i was going to mention earlier was tell me no and watch me go that's kind of your slogan huh
1: yeah, it kind of is. And I didn't realize it growing up. And um, it's probably only in the last 10 years that I've kind of become more self-aware and reflected on my life and kind of saw that drive and determination or tenacity um, and tenaciousness really are at the center of everything that I've done. And the idea that somebody tells me no kind of sort of sets me on a trajectory to, one, live my dream. Um, But two, also prove people wrong. And I had a phenomenal friend at the Air Force Academy that when I graduated pilot training asked me, do you really want to be a fighter pilot or are you a fighter pilot because everybody always told you you couldn't do it? And I would say 20 years later, I still can't answer that question. Because it probably is a mix between the two. That it was my dream, but I also set out to prove to myself that I could do it, as well as you know, some underlying aspect to prove to others that I could do it.
0: Can you talk to the female side of the journey you've had? Your father says, oh, that, that just doesn't happen. And then years later, your commander of Columbus Air Force Base, how'd you get there? And what challenges came in along the way?
1: Well, there's definitely challenges along the way for everybody in any type of life journey. I think for me, some of the challenges initially were sticking to my dream, um, because it's easy to be a six-year-old who says, I wanna be a fighter pilot, or like my little six-year-old right now tells me that he wants to be an army tank driver. And not necessarily following through with that as you continue to grow up but i kind of stayed steadfast in that dream and my dad who just passed away last month uh, without a doubt was my biggest supporter and i think when he told me girls don't do that he was just telling me truth but he encouraged me along the way and kept me to see my dream and work toward it rather than kind of veering off into the social pressures of junior high and high school and taking the steps that enabled me to get into the Air Force Academy and then getting to pilot training. Fighter pilots will always tell you that luck and timing are good things that go along with your hard work Mm. um, and your determination. And without a doubt, that's true for me. But being one of the first female fighter pilots in the F-15C community Uh, wasn't always easy. And I was told right as I graduated pilot training that 25% of the guys would be my biggest champions. 50% could care less as long as I did my job to the best of my ability. And 25% of those men that I was going to encounter were probably going to struggle with me being part of their world. And I think in 1998, when I showed up to my first fighter squadron, those percentages were probably about accurate. And the point is seeing the majority, 75%, that either say, just do your job or do your job and I'm going to be your ally or your champion to kind of change the face and the space of what is a female Eagle pilot or what is an Eagle pilot carried me through. In each assignment, the percentage has changed, right? Maybe it was still 10% struggled with me in their world, 60% just said, do your job, I don't care what your gender is, you know, and the allies grew along the way so mm-hmm. that there are more people that just kind of said, you know, it's 2000, it's 2010, it's 2015, um, you know, I am your ally as a female growing in this community um, and you have worth to give. So. Um, there's definitely challenges along the way, but finding your allies, proving your worth and not giving up are the things that enabled me to be able to command at the squadron group and wing level in the air force.
0: Well, and I didn't want to gloss over or glaze over. You mentioned that your dad just passed. Um, and of course we jumped right into a a bigger question or not a bigger question, but maybe more, uh, direct to what I asked, but can you talk to that? What's, what's that been like? Your dad seems like he meant a a whole lot to you.
1: He did. I think I probably always had a special bond with my father because we both uh, served in the Air Force and that was a connection point that was special between him and I. And I would say, I always knew we had that connection point, but the depth of it came to me when the United States left Afghanistan and we watched kind of Kabul fall and fall, And I didn't know who to talk about it with and to. And so I talked to two people. I talked to one of my TACPs who had been in Afghanistan um, very early on in 2001, 2002. And then I called my dad because my dad served three tours in Vietnam and I figured he's the only other person who could understand how I felt emotionally because he watched Saigon fall. And that that was probably the first time that I saw the depth of understanding of the relationship that I could share with him that there are very few others and nobody else in my family that I could share that with.
0: Well, I'm sorry to hear that he's passed and I hope things go well for you in the next couple few months going forward. It's a lot to lose.
1: It is, but I will say um, he had multiple myeloma uh, and was diagnosed uh, last fall with it. And it is a cancer that is related to Agent Orange and service in Vietnam for Mm -hmm. veterans. And I would say that The entire year of 2022 afforded me an opportunity and connection point with my dad that I might not have had if I was still serving in the Air Force because of my job and the flexibility and my proximity to living near him from Colorado to Arizona. And so I miss serving in the Air Force. I'm trusting that I'm totally in the right place at the right time and where I'm supposed to be. And I think that as time continues to evolve, I'll see more and more reasons as to why I'm where I am. But I do think that this year and my dad's inevitable passing um, is part of it because I had, I had more opportunity to see him in 2022 than I probably did during my 23 years of military service.
0: Wow. It's crazy how that happens. Well, it's great that you got to spend that time. It's a gift. For sure. Well, and speaking of, of time, you and I met during a time when you were base commander in Columbus Air Force Base through uh, Colonel, Lieutenant Colonel Buck Benton. And I'm always grateful for that. I look back and I didn't even know this was on my bucket list, but I was able to get up in the T-38 T, uh, and go for uh, what do you call that? A something ride, a
1: Incentive ride or incentive. familiarization ride.
0: Either yeah, way. well, I got familiar, boy. I did. I get familiar, and uh, I don't want to spend time on my experience there because that's a different podcast. But you, uh, I remember when Buck was talking. He said, "I don't know who this colonel is coming in, but you know, she maybe for or against the training because we kind of had this stuff already set up. I was going to come over there and do some training, and then I got on with you on the phone and." You not only embraced it, but I think you leveled it up like you're all about development and training and all that and seem to have an incredible impact on the, the people at that base and the squadron leaders. But then that ended up being where you transitioned out of the military. Can you speak to that season of your life at all?
1: Yeah, um, I think that season of my life is something that I'm still reflecting on and trying to grow from. Wing Command is an amazing honor and opportunity to truly get to be responsible for a mission part of the Air Force, right? I was in charge of 200 aircraft, $2.3 $2.3 billion in assets and roughly, you know, 2,500 people, active duty families, contractors, civilians that are on the base. And at a time where the Air Force is having pilot shortages, a base that produces pilots is critical to our future needs and success.
0: Hey, it, and just so the listeners know, Uh, The different types of aircraft there, one of them are fighter pilot or fighter jets. And I know there's a few others, but just for the sake of people listening, that's one of the few fighter jet training bases in the country. Is that right?
1: Yeah. And so we have four pilot training bases in the Air Force, but then we have only three and really two that do our introduction of fighter fundamentals uh, for a large portion of the air force. Um, actually it's probably three. And so Columbus air force base is one of those three. So we take really brand new commissioned officers who like me, when I went through pilot training have no prior pilot flying experience. And at the time within one year, they earn their wings. Now within six months they earn their wings and we say, Hey, go take this aircraft and start to learn your mission set, whether it's going to be in the mobility air forces right now, still flying the T one or going to be a fighter or bomber pilot, learning the T 38 and then transitioning into introduction to fighter fundamentals, and then going to learn your F 15 F 16 F 35 or F 22. So very diverse pilot training base for sure. Um, And I would say it was definitely a challenge for me um, because you're now not just leading fighter pilots. I'm not leading yeah. necessarily like-minded people that understand the culture that I have grew up in. And that, doesn't, that didn't scare me. That didn't bother me. That wasn't a mountain in front of me that I saw or envisioned. Kind of the majority of my career, I had been thrown into different environments Which allows you to grow experience from being a, you know, TACP or an air liaison officer with TACP to an F 15 pilot to an F 16 pilot, you know, to an academic environment to leading air, space, and cyber defense and, um, you know, surface to air aggressors within the Air Force. I wasn't afraid to lead uh, a vast and diverse group. But leading that environment through a period of change, transition, transformation that the base needed to do, at the same time of having a nine-month-old and a -a two-and-a-half-year-old, at the same time of having an airline pilot husband who had to commute to his base, they're all things that add complexity onto your plate. And then you never know what you're going to get in command. And I would say that wing command threw at me things that I didn't see coming and didn't know the impact and the toll emotionally and then physically that would come to me. And it started out on the day I took command three hours after taking the guide on my executive officer handed me a note during the two stars briefing that said, ma'am, I need to see you outside the theater. And so I walk out and he says, ma'am, we had a fatality. Mm. And you always hear stories of this. um, And you feel as best prepared as you can be to deal with a fatality on your base because of the Air Force training and preparation that they give you. But when it is a 15-month-old that is accidentally killed by a vehicle, when you have a nine-month-old, you're not ready for that. Wow. And the very next morning, as I'm walking into my newcomer orientation for the first time, I get a phone call from command post, which is kind of like our base eyes and ears and brains and kind of central nervous system that runs things for us. And they say, ma'am, we have an aircraft accident. We need to set up the emergency operations center. And I've been in command about 22 hours now. And I say, I think you forgot to say exercise, exercise, exercise. Because there's no way this is real and they're like nope ma'am this is real and it didn't honestly stop i had six civilian deputies that passed away in about an eight-month period and the last one an amazing human being who actually was murdered by his wife and then i finished with three months of covid um not Ooh. me having it but me dealing with the impact of COVID from February 2022 until I gave up the guide on in May of 2022. So looking yeah. how to deal with a pandemic from a base standpoint, city standpoint, and county standpoint, and how to influence leaders across those three different organizations to understand something that the United States hadn't seen in a hundred years. All the while still trying to be the right leader, the right wife, the right mother, But ultimately, I would tell you that my lesson learned over the last two years is that I didn't take care of myself during that time to be able to give to all those other external people that needed me. Yeah. So ultimately, I was pouring from an empty cup.
0: What was your goal, if you had one, when you came into the military?
1: My dad would tell you we had three bets. I don't agree with one of them, but uh, in honor of him, I will tell it from his standpoint and his words. I was going to outrank him. I was going to beat his time in service, and I was going to become a general officer. One of those three was very simple. I was going to outrank him. He retired as an Air Force Master Sergeant. And my father and mother pretty much mandated that we go to college. So I kind of knew that to be a pilot and to kind of have the mandate that you had to go to college, I was going to be a commissioned officer. So that one was kind of easy. My dad served for 26 years in the Air Force. I'd always said that I would serve 27 just to one-up him because there's definitely a competitive streak that runs strong through my being. At the eighteen, tell me year no point, and watch me go. <laughs> yeah, at the eighteen-year point, I called my dad and I'm like, "Dad, I don't see this happening. Uh, I'm not sure that I can do it." And I remember um, a navy officer and senior mentor for me kind of said that I was having normal feelings at year eighteen, and so I kind of, you know, saw the next opportunities. I was like, "No, this is possible." And then I retired at year 23. So I missed number two. I did not beat my dad's time in service. And I retired as a colonel. And so I did not achieve uh, the rank of general officer. I would tell you that that was not ever a goal of mine, despite my dad saying it was. Yeah. But I can tell you, and this goes back to our introduction in that first phone call, my dream job was to become the Commandant of Cadets at the United States Air Force Academy. And I kind of set my eyes on that as my next dream in 2010, when I was a student at the School of Advanced Air and Space Studies, where I got my master's and then got a PhD through them. And part of the whole reason why I got my PhD in military strategy with a focus on leader and leadership development was so that I could bring that back to the Air Force Academy and really have not just a military experience perspective on developing leaders of character, but really have that academic background and understanding to bring that piece to an academic institution that is driven and required to develop leaders for our Air Force. And so, in that place, yes, that's a one star general position. And so, at least for the last 13 years, I had my eyes set on that job and therefore that rank.
0: Yeah. So, how did you make the decision to go from your career, 23 year career in the military, to civilian life?
1: I probably made it a little bit unwillingly, um, but. There's a book called Boyd, The Fighter Pilot Who Changed the Art of War by Robert Quorum, And he talks about John Boyd, who was an Air Force fighter pilot and is probably more embraced by the Marine Corps than he is necessarily the Air Force in history, context, and impact and legacy. But in that book, Quorum writes about a time where John Boyd was in the Pentagon and talking with a group of younger officers. And he told them that there's going to be a time in their career when they are faced with being something or doing something. And you can be somebody and you can kind of sell your soul and you're going to be liked by your superiors and you're going to get to be part of the in crowd and you're going to get the cush jobs and the promotions. Or you can choose to do something and kind of stand on those morals and values that you have and do the right thing. And ultimately, this is my part, but at the end of the day, You want to choose that road to do something so that when you put your head down on the pillow at night, you are proud of who you are and what you accomplished and what you stood for. And I would tell you that in December 2019, I was faced with that challenge of being somebody or doing something. And at least in my reflection, I chose to do something. And I'm glad that I did. It's a hard moment, um, and it's still probably something that I'm reflecting on and working toward. But I think that there were signs that it was probably time for me to transition and make sure that I was who I wanted to be first and foremost, which is a mom. And I took that be somebody or do something moment and chose to do something with it, as well as be more present and available to the children that I truly want to be the biggest legacy that I have by how I raise them and who they become.
0: Before we wrap up, can you tell us because you're doing some crazy cool stuff right now with your current company as transfer, Chief Transformation Officer and then what did I read in your bio, this mission director for science and research for the Polaris Dawn commercial space flight? Is that just a really cool title? or is that a really cool role?
1: Yeah, it's a really cool title and it is a really cool opportunity and experience for me. And so I would say both Shift 4 Payments and Polaris Dawn are through my interactions with individuals during my military career. When I was stationed at Nellis Air Force Base, I had the opportunity to work with the CEO and founder of Draken International, which was a commercial fighter pilot organization to present more adversaries, more bad guys to the Air Force for our large force employment training exercises. Mm. That CEO and founder was Jared Isaacman. He also happens to be the CEO and founder of Shift 4 Payments. And in 2021, I had a conversation with him. And he said, I want you to do what you did in the Adversary Tactics group at Nellis for me at Shift4 Payments. And I'm kind of like, well, what is that? Uh, And we discussed that it really is transformation. It was the idea to better the organization through building process, procedure, developing and growing and evolving a culture that can really work toward our mission and our vision, with the values that we have at Surefour Payments of boldness, ownership, excellence, and trust. Jared is uh, a 39-year-old high school dropout billionaire. He went into space last year, uh, one year ago, really to this time frame. As the mission commander for Inspiration4, which was a commercial space flight founded around the pillars of leadership, hope, generosity, and prosperity. And Jared has partnered with SpaceX to do three more missions. You can go check it out at polarisprogram.com. And he came to me last November and said, hey, I'm going to go back into space again.
0: Mm-hmm. Will
1: you be a mission director? Uh, for it. And I, of course, said yes, because what Come fire on. pilot doesn't have a desire or look to the stars and look to the skies and everything that you do? And then my role came out to be science and research. So from the time we announced this in February until right now, recently, I get to be the mission director for science and research, which means I partner with SpaceX. We've gone across the world to really look for groundbreaking, earth-shattering space, you know, first ever science and research experiments that can rapidly advance human spaceflight capabilities and continue to make life better here on Earth. And Jared has a philanthropic mindset, core, and heart. And so he's going to continue to raise money for St. Jude. And last year, I believe, through Inspiration4, we raised approximately $250 million to try to cure childhood cancer. Wow. And he's continuing that partnership with St. Jude um, through the Polaris program.
0: Cool stuff.
1: It's an amazing opportunity.
0: Well, it's it's clear that you're making the world a better place. You're making people's lives better again thank you for what you've done and before we wrap wrap up is there anything that you wanted to share that we missed talking about today
1: i would just kind of finish with where we started and i would tell everybody to go to playersprogram.com and donate to saint jude
0: Yeah.
1: because when every single one of us think about childhood cancer there's nothing more that we would like to have that be something historical in context and not something that families are dealing with today.
0: All right. And we're going to put that in the notes of this episode. If anybody, can you, can you state that domain again?
1: Yeah. Polarisprogram.com. And just go there, click on our cause, and you will see a donate now button to support St. Jude Children's Research Hospital.
0: Awesome. And you do keynote Public speaking, do you not?
1: I do um, because I think that in everybody's experience, there's a lesson to be learned. And if I can share that to make somebody else's journey better, then I want to do that.
0: And can you give us that link?
1: I can. That is drsamanthaweeks.com.
0: All right. We are going to put that in the notes as well. And I don't know how to say it any other way, but thank you for so many things that you've done and keep up the good work.
1: Well, Andy, I can't thank you enough for the opportunity and the introduction to continue to connect with you. And really, I'm going to give the last shout out to Buck Benton. I think he made Colonel, somebody recently told me, um, because he is the person that brought us together and we're still connected four years later and I hope for the next 40 also.
0: Yeah, that's to, to Buck Benton, helping me hit a bucket list item I never knew I had. But more importantly, that we're connected and we're, you know, iron sharpening iron, trying to help people be better and what they're doing and change lives and change the world. So thank you again.
1: Thank you, Andy.